things that make you go, hmm. hmm. <laughs> well, welcome once again. I do, before we get started here, I do want to say a special welcome to our Rwanda team that's back with us this morning. It's good to have you guys here. Some of them are over there. So it's, it's great to have you back. We're glad you had a good time. And we will look forward to hearing from the Rwanda team, I believe, next week. So uh, we'll get an update on, on how things went over there. Well, we are on a week number four of this series called Things That Make You Go, Hmm? And they, it is a series where we're studying passages in Scripture that may cause you to scratch your head and wonder why is that in there or what does that mean? And as we do this, again, the whole purpose is that we can become people who understand as we interact with Scripture, we want to see the full revelation of who God is trying to tell us about His nature and character and who He is, even through these stories that make, might make us wonder why it's in there. So this morning I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 2. We've spent the last three weeks in some kind of really random stories in the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures, and then today we're going to move into the New Testament and read a story that may be a little bit more familiar to some of you. And if you've been around the church for a while, you may be familiar with this story. If you are new to the faith or even just exploring uh, today, well, this will be new to you, and that's great. So we'll study it together. But as we get started, uh, let me pray. God, we thank you again for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us through all of these stories. And you have revealed your plan for us. And so, God, I pray that as I teach, I would learn. And let this be all about you. And God, let Seacoast Church be a church that wants your name to be made known. And uh, you to shine. So we pray that even now, as we interact with your word that you've given to us, God, let it put you on the throne in your rightful place. So we thank you and give you this time now. In your name, amen. So we are in the book of Acts, chapter 2, and we are going to mostly focus on the first 14 verses, and, uh, but the story is the entire chapter. But, so let's get started here. And as we go through this, if you've been around for this series the last couple weeks, start wondering what are those questions you would be asking or you want to know as we interact with Scripture. And if you're new, you can still ask questions and, and, and see what you want to know. So, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. So even right there, what should we be asking? What day? Who's they? Yeah. What's Pentecost? Who's they? Yeah. Where are they? Yeah, Good. Yeah, we want to know those. Remember, the, the writers of these books add details because they matter. So we'll answer those questions in a little bit. Okay, so the day of Pentecost had come. They were together in one place. And suddenly, and the they, I need you to know so we can get on with the story, but the they is uh, followers of Jesus. So, so you know what's happening here. So, and these are likely the disciples and maybe some others. Um, and this is after Jesus has uh, already uh, died on the cross been placed in the grave, and resurrected, and now he's ascended to heaven, and they are left. And they're together in one place. And verse 2, Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear them in our own language to which we were born? And then it, it, it mentions a, a list of nations. We'll skip that in verse 9, 10, and 11, just for time. Then it ends and it names all these nations. says, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this all mean? But there was others mocking them, saying they are full of sweet wine. And in verse 14, Peter, who is one of the disciples, taking his stand among the eleven, the other disciples, he raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. <laughs> okay, and we're going to stop right there and break down this story and then we'll talk about what Peter tells them. So the picture we have here is there's a gathering of Jesus' followers and they're in Jerusalem and they're in some house and there's some debate as to what that house means. Did it mean the temple or the temple mount or is it a house near the temple? We're not sure, but there's some in some sort of house probably near the temple and they're in Jerusalem. We know that for sure. Now it says it was the day of Pentecost. It's an important piece of information we need to understand. So Pentecost is a Jewish feast, and it's a Jewish pilgrimage feast. And Pentecost is the Greek word for 50. It just means 50, like 50 days. It's 50 days after Passover. In Hebrew, it's called Shavuot, which means weeks. And so often it's called the Feast of Weeks, which means seven weeks after Passover, you're to celebrate this feast. Now, this feast is one of three of the feasts. There's Passover, there's Pentecost, and then there's one in the fall, our fall called the Feast of Booths, those three are designated as pilgrimage festivals where people from all over the world of the Jewish faith would come and celebrate the festival in Jerusalem. So it's important to note that during this feast of Pentecost, this is one of the three times a year when there would be people from all over the world gathered in one place who believe in God, who understand the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament, who know the prophecies, who are celebrating, and they're probably a little more devout because they've made the pilgrimage. So they understand Scripture, and they're here celebrating Pentecost, or Shavuot. We'll call it Pentecost for today. And so they're all here in one place. Now, uh, a few things here in Deuteronomy. I have this up here on the screen for you. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 10 through 11. This is the command for them about the Feast of Pentecost. It says, You shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God with a tribute of freewill offering of your hand, which you shall give just as the Lord God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter and your male and female servants and the Levite who is in your town, and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your midst in the place where the Lord God chooses to establish your name. So this is their commandment to celebrate this Feast of Weeks. Now what this feast was, was it essentially it celebrated the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So seven weeks after Passover, when, when often the first crops would start to come in, they would take the very first of their harvest and come and present it before God and, and as an offering. 
It was called the offering of first fruits. And the purpose of it was to say, God, we, ch- we thank you for the harvest. We trust that you- we're going to give you the first of it because we believe that you are the God of our harvest and whatever comes in is from you. So we know that you are the one who gives, so we give back to you. And we give to you of our very first of the harvest. So this is not at the end of the harvest when they have everything. This is the very first pieces of it. And so it was a, a way of declaring, God, we trust that you are God and that you can handle uh, our harvest. You'll take care of it. So they're there and that's what they're celebrating. Sometimes it's called the, uh, the uh, Feast of the First Fruits as well as they're remembering the harvest. So verse 2. So that's why they're gathered and they're in one place. Now verse 2. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Now this is the point in the story that makes me go, hmm. (laughs) There's some questions here. There's this sound of a violent rushing wind. Now, what is that sound? What did that sound like? We don't really know. But we believe that the, the intention of it was God obviously making a statement and gathering the attention there because it said people from outside heard it and said, what's going on? And they went to see the commotion. So it had to have been something loud enough and raucous enough to make people say, what is that? Now, often throughout Scripture, wind is used often symbolically of God's presence or His Spirit. See, in Hebrew and also in Greek, the word for wind is the same as the word for spirit. And it's no mistake in Hebrew when they use this saying, often you have this wind, also means the Spirit of God. Now, does that mean God's Spirit is wind? No. It's just symbolizing or representing God's presence is coming into this place. We, we see instances of strong winds and commotion. You have it with Elijah has it on this mount, actually when he was on Mount Sinai, Elijah was there. Earlier, when Moses was there, there was this rushing wind that surrounded where he was at. It's not uncommon for wind to be used and signify that God's Spirit is in this place. So there's a violent rushing wind. Now also then it says there's tongues of fire. Now this is the one where it's really bizarre to me. Because what did these tongues of fire really look like? Were they really tongues of fire? Because I don't know about you, I have have a golden retriever, and he's a large golden retriever. He's very big. He has this giant head. And... Not only does he have this giant head, but he has this giant tongue that's like a giraffe tongue. And and when I read Tongues of Fire, I can't help but to see my golden retriever's tongue, you know, as this tongue of fire, just this giant tongue coming down and resting on people. And so that's why, I, you know, makes me go, hmm, what is this? Were they, was it actually a tongue on fire? That's really bizarre. Well, here's the answer. We don't know. (laughs) Was it an actual tongue? I don't know. The, the author wants to use the imagery of a tongue. But what was there? Was there some sort of physical appearance here? Something phys- or that they could see that indicated something was happening? And that, I would say, I believe, yes. And he did, the author describes it as these tongues of fire. Now, why tongues of fire? Again, fire throughout Scripture often indicated the presence of God. Think of the burning bush. When Moses sees this bush on fire and God's presence, was God a bush on fire? No. 
But he used that imagery to say, Moses, you're standing on holy ground. I'm speaking to you. He led the Israelites in the desert with a pillar of fire at night. Something physical, they could see this fire to know that God's presence was there. In fact, one of the commandments in the temple was to always keep the fire burning in their temple. Why? Because it indicated the presence of God. So when you have imagery of fire throughout Scripture, almost to uh, every single verse, in fact, all that I can find, I could be wrong on this and I admit it, but all that I can find that it comes with the presence of God. So something now what we see is there's something, there's a rushing wind making a noise, wind often associated with the Spirit of God, drawing their attention. They show up and they see, they can see these fires or some sort of image over the 11 disciples. Now, keep in mind here, this says it rested on each of them and later it says the 11 disciples. So this, these tongues of fire didn't rest on every single person in Jerusalem. It's an important note to know. That the tongues specifically or this image of this fire specifically was over Jesus' 11 remaining disciples. Something there from a, in a Hebrew mind would say, wait a minute, rushing wind, there's a flame above them. This is really bizarre, but this is something important. See, in our world, we'd, we would try to explain in a modern world, right? We'd say, well, this is probably just a reflection or a hologram or whatever. You know, in the ancient world, they say, whoa, something's happening big. Something, God is in our midst. And he rested on these people. And then you find... They began to speak with other tongues. Now that word tongues there is actually languages, other languages. As the Spirit was giving them utterance. So what's happening here is there's something about the Spirit of God coming and now they're speaking another language. Now some of you, maybe you are, uh, if you've never been around church, just keep track with the story. Maybe some of you, you've been around church for a long time and you're starting to have questions about, wait, what does this have to do with the Spirit of God in other languages? Or maybe some of you, you're even a little skeptical and you've seen or heard this before, but it's been on TV and you think, wait a minute, are they, is this what I've heard about, about different languages coming out of people who are filled with the Spirit of God? I'm going to address that in just a moment. <laughs> but first, let's address specifically what's happening here. On, in John chapter 14, I have it on the screen for you. Verse 16 through 17, it says this. Jesus is praying and, and having this dialogue with his disciples. And he tells them this. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So Jesus is saying, when I depart, because Jesus, and here's another thing that makes you go, hmm. It's this idea of a Trinity God, a triune God, three in one. I can't get into that and explain it all for you today because we don't have the rest of our lifetimes right now. But, um, but it's a belief that God is three in one, that there's a Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son is the physical manifestation of God who lived and walked on earth and breathed on earth, Jesus Christ, who is God in flesh. Jesus says, when I leave and depart from earth, I will send the Spirit. He said a helper. The Greek word helper here is, uh, essentially means to walk along, come alongside you. And he says the spirit will come, the spirit of truth, and he, you will know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit of God, for those who follow me, can abide within you. 
So Jesus has already told them this is going to happen. And now we see something happens here. The Holy Spirit is empowering them. And they can speak a different language. It's very different. It's very bizarre here. Now, I want you to know, in Scripture, in fact, in the book of Acts, we have evidence of other people receiving the Holy Spirit of God and not speaking in other languages. So evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit of God is not speaking in other languages. It happened in this case. It may have happened in other cases, but it is not necessary to speak in other languages if you have the Holy Spirit. In fact, there is very specific right here that the Holy Spirit wanted them to speak a different language to communicate something very specific at this time and at this instant. It is not something that all of a sudden now they were bilingual. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I've had the privilege of traveling around the world and, and serving in different countries. And there have been times when I said, God, if you ever could empower me to speak another language, now would be so fantastic. <laughs> and I've sat with people and I wanted so badly to communicate with them about the love of God in their language. And I couldn't do it. And I was, you know, even testing God, like, go ahead, go, go. I want to do it. I want them to know. And it never worked. And could he still? Why not? If he wants to, he could. But he didn't. That would be a great time, I think. But God wanted this time, in this place in history, for a very specific reason, to have his followers speak in other languages. And we're going to learn why it was this time. In Genesis chapter 11, again, I'm just going to allude to it. We don't have time to get in. This story is another things that make you go, hmm? In Genesis chapter 11, it describes humanity as living in this region, saying, hey, let's build a big tower to ourselves. Let's build a tower up to the skies and let's gather around it so that that tower will unite us and we'll all speak one language and nothing can stop us. And we will make our name great, is what they say. You see, but earlier in Scripture, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, God said, I want you to scatter, to multiply, to fill the earth and make my name great. By chapter 11 of the Bible, humanity said, no, we want to be great. So what does God do to them? He confuses their language and scatters them to the ends of the earth. Scholars believe that the list of languages or nations in Genesis chapter 11 is the same list of languages described in Acts chapter 2, just with an updated version 2,000 years later. Roughly the same region, the same people. The author of the book of Acts, who is, we believe is Luke, wanted you to know those nations that were scattered in the Tower of Babel when people wanted to make their name great, they're back. And they're hearing about the great name of God in their language. It's as if God's saying, no, my mission all along has been to make my name great and I want my people back to hear this because they're going to spread it now again in their native tongue. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We have this on the screen for you or you can turn back one page. As Jesus is speaking... This is the last words we have of Jesus speaking with his disciples before he ascends to heaven. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
You see, the story of Pentecost is really a, a story about the mission of God. The point of Pentecost is mission. And the goal of the mission is that the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. See, he gathers all these people together on a very strategic time. They hear the message in their language, fulfilling what Jesus said, I will fill, fill you with my spirit so that, why? You can be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. See, the reason they were able to speak in different languages at this point in time, this day, in this moment, was so that God could extend his mission in this specific time. So for some of you, you may have questions about, can the Holy Spirit still cause people to speak in different languages today? I believe there's reason to say yes, but also remember that God is a God of order, and when he does it here, this made a lot of sense. Because it was a specific language that people heard and understood. The utterances here were not utterances that were unintelligible. They were utterances that people understood. Now, I am not willing to, to say that I can speak for every single person across the globe who said they had experienced some, something different. But I know that when God speaks in this way and empowers them by His Spirit, it is very specific and it's very intentional and it's very orderly. And it makes sense. It makes sense. And even with God's order, what do people say? They're drunk. <laughs> These guys must be drunk. Who are the ones who said that? Probably the people who said they must be drunk are the ones who didn't speak those languages. They didn't hear their language, maybe because they only spoke Hebrew or something and they heard everything else. And they thought, oh man, something's going on. Until they were corrected. See, God used this power in this specific time complete his mission, to make his mission of his name being made known throughout the ends of the earth. Why on Pentecost? Because he could have done it on Passover. People were already gathered. So why Pentecost? It's interesting because Pentecost, again, is a feast of the first fruits, celebrating the harvest, the very first of the harvest. I believe that Pentecost was strategic, not only because it was close to the resurrection just happened 50 days prior. But I believe that it was symbolic again of Scripture, of God saying, here's the first fruit of my spirit and my mission. Jesus himself, on two different instances, refers to people becoming followers of him as part of the harvest, saying the harvest is plentiful. I'm the Lord of the harvest. The very first fruits of these people who are accepting Christ for the first time are happening here. I believe that the... the God wanted this moment for people to say, oh, this is what it means. It says, from this point on, Peter starts to say, explain to them, this is what's happening. It's a fulfillment of all the scriptures. The, all the, from the Hebrew scriptures, all the prophecies have pointed to Jesus Christ who just died on the cross, was buried and raised from the dead, and does that to provide life for you and for all who hear. And he made that message known in all those languages that day. And the scripture tells us on that day there was 3,000 people who converted and became followers of Jesus Christ. The first fruits of the mission of God and the global movement to the ends of the earth. I believe it was very intentional this day when God said, here is the harvest. My mission will be made known. My name will be made known. So the question for us is this. And I know we went through this one really quickly today. 
But you've already gotten very good at studying scripture now, right? We've been asking these questions. So what's our response? A few things. One, what do we learn about God? We learn he wants the message of his salvation to be made known to the ends of the earth. It's very clear from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22. He wants his name made known. The mission of God, the missio dei we have in your notes, which is a Latin for the mission of God, is to declare his name. The followers of Jesus Christ, the way we live and breathe and interact with one another and with the world around is telling them who this, our God is. The mission is that we live like Jesus so they can see who God is in their midst and that we scatter to the ends of the earth. He wants his name made known. God provides a way to complete his plan. From the very beginning, he provided a way for his plan to be made known or to be completed through Jesus Christ even after the fall. To gather people together even after Babel when they're scattered with different languages, he says, no, let's reverse that and let you know about the full revelation of who I am. And the last thing, this one maybe is a little more personal in response is can we believe and trust that the Holy Spirit can t- still guide us today? I, when I was in seminary, I had a, a speaker from Korea once was talking, and he said, you know, it's amazing how much you can accomplish in the American church without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> we can be really professional about how we do everything, and we have a system and a way of doing everything, and sometimes we just have to stop and say, God, if apart from you, we can do nothing. And to stop and trust and say, God, we believe that you can lead our church. We believe you can lead our family. We believe you, we, you can lead me as I interact with others. Are we people who are willing to say, Holy Spirit, guide me? Now, are you going to have a tongue of fire appear before you and you speak another language? I doubt it. Okay, I doubt it. <laughs> if you do take a picture, that'd be awesome. <laughs> but can you be filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit of God? Can you submit to Him and allow Him to move? Yes. I'm going to ask the worship team to make their way up. See, I think sometimes, too, the Holy Spirit, we often look for this spectacular, we want to still see tongues of fire. We want to still see these big things. But I don't know about you, but for me, becoming a Christian, sometimes it was hard to explain. Sometimes I just said, I don't know what happened, but I do know that somehow God got a hold of my heart. How do you explain that? I don't know. One of, uh, a, a friend of Jonathan's, one of our pastors here, and a, a guy I met once is now living in Malawi. And uh, a couple weeks ago, he was preaching in his church. And uh, as he was preaching there, he felt really discouraged. He felt like it didn't make sense. It, w- it seemed like people in that village were really hard-hearted. And then the very next week, the very next week, he was at that church again, sitting in the front, and he heard some commotion outside. And coming in was this big family, this group of people who said, we heard about Jesus, and we submit to him and give our whole lives to Jesus. And, and, and our friend is sitting there like, how did that happen? There was no explanation. They said, we want to, can we be baptized right here, right now? And I don't know. If you know this, but even in Malawi, this is the dry season. And so we have some photos of what happened after this. They, the whole church said, let's walk down the street. And they found a drainage ditch. Look at these pictures here. As they baptized the whole family. 
who miraculously somehow heard the message of Jesus and gave their lives to him and were baptized in dirty water drainage ditch because they said nothing is going to stop us. We want to follow Jesus. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is still able to move today. Still able to work in our lives. Around the world. Right here. So can we be a church that submits to the ways of God and says, God, lead us by your Spirit. Can we be that church? That's a question for us. We're going to bow our heads and pray as we end our time here. And as you bow your heads, uh, today I don't want us to get wrapped up in things called the gifts of the Holy Spirit and wondering how it works today. We're wrapped up in what happened on that day of Pentecost. We're wrapped up in the fact that God made his name known because he cares about his glory going to the ends of the earth. So God, we pray right now that you would lead us. We pray that you would change us, you would shape us. And I pray right now, Lord, as we just end our time, this one final song, God, let us just submit to you. And I pray that you lead us by your spirit right now, God, and fill us with your power. Lord, that your name can be made known and that you receive glory, not us. So we give you this time now, God. Amen. We're just going to end with one song here and just as a response to God.